The climate is changing. So are we. I'm Laura Lynch, and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Now or Never, the show that celebrates what it takes to try and reminds you that you are not alone when you do. And Trevor, listeners can't see, but they can definitely hear that annoying clicking noise. Explain yourself. Is it, is it bothering you? Because I like to think of it as the sound of pure greatness. Just the noise that comes when speed is meeting intuition and talent is just judged by time, <laughs> Evie. That's the most creative description of a Rubik's Cube I have ever heard. <laughs> It's the greatest cube ever invented. This bad boy has been pushing people to the limits since the 1970s, and it's also the cause of many a hand cramp in my home. What is your fastest time? A minute 20. Minute 20? Yeah, minute 20. Okay, big deal. No, no, that's hard garbage. It's like going in slow motion, because if you want to know what real speed is, Ify, you go to where the greats compete. A suburban library in Sherwood Park <laughs> near Edmonton. Okay, we are calling up group five and group six. So it'll be five on the blue side and six on the red side. Uh, hello, my name is Kyle Santucci. Uh, I'm a top Rubik's Cube solver and I'm here to compete at a local competition. Hopefully get some good times. My first event is two by two. So the little, little cube. Uh, in competition, I have a 0.58, which is the current national record. Uh, it's just a lot of luck in 2x2 two two single solve. If I get a good enough scramble, I could even get world record in 2x2. Two two. It uh, just depends. But uh, always trying to break my own records, for sure. I've never heard someone sound so bored about setting <laughs> national records. If I had that kind of time, you would never hear me stop talking about it. Yeah, doing it in half a second. I can't do anything in half a second. I don't even think that I blink that fast. And yet, at this regional cubing competition in Sherwood Park, there is a room filled with people, all with their heads down, frantically flipping their colorful squares, hoping to break personal and world records, or watch Kyle do it. My name is Javier Tio. I'm here to compete at the Rubik's Cube competition. I'm very excited to see some of the top competitors from Alberta. I'm excited to see Kyle Santucci because he's a very fast solver and I think he still has potential to break his own records. So the world record is like less than half a second. So it's like lightning fast. As soon as I go up, you know, my mind rushes, I get nervous. So I try to just be calm before I compete. Make sure your hands aren't cold. You're trying to solve decently well. So just practice a bit and then you go up and try to do your best. It's only a few seconds and then you're just done and you hope it's a good time. Kyle's got four chances to solve the two by two. And let me tell you, it all happens in a blur. And within seconds, it's all over. Uh, this competition for me in two by two was pretty pretty good. I got my like best solve at the, at the end, so I don't know if I win yet, though. We'll have to see. Ify? Yes? Kyle did win. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he won with a time of 2.4 seconds, which it took me actually longer to say that sentence than it did for him to actually solve the cube. 
And the wild part is, that's a slow time for him. <laughs> you know, when you only have seconds to do something, you have to just rely on pure instinct, muscle, memory. But when the ticking clock is minutes long, or days, months, even years, what happens then? It can push you to do great and amazing things, Ify. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> Today on Now or Never, every story is a race against time. What is it like to have less than 24 hours notice to get on a plane to LA and be a seat filler at the Emmys? Oh my gosh, I was so nervous. I was not gonna make it. I thought the entire trip, if anything gets delayed, I, like, this is an expensive mistake. The chief coroner of BC is counting down to her retirement and she is sounding off. I, I don't believe it at all anymore. I'm thinking all of the time about the people who have died and I'm thinking about their families. It's always important to maintain that objectivity, but I have certainly become more frustrated and more angry. I think that's one of the reasons why I knew it was time for me to leave. And find out what is on the line for a single mom counting down to her one year of sobriety. When I get that phone call saying that I've been accepted and I can get the moving date, that's when my other kids come to. That will be the day that I'll be like so happy. <laughs> this is Now or Never. Clock is ticking. Can I, can I just play like a little game with you? Just like a quick word association? Like what comes to mind when I say dating? Uh, partnership. I, you know what I was going to say? Loneliness. And then I chickened out and tried to change it. No, you said loneliness. Okay, when I say love. Oh, that would be partnership. Yeah. And when I say six minutes. Terror. Terror. Yeah. Okay, I want to get into it. Hello, I am Richard Kelly Kemick. I am 33. 34. I had a birthday a couple days ago. And I'm going speed dating this Sunday. And in my six minute window, I plan to convince someone to love me and the living situation I am currently in. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Richard Kemick is dipping his toes back into the dating world. There is just one problem. His living situation is a little complicated and tough to sum up in the six minutes he has to make a good first impression on 15 women at a speed dating event in Vancouver this weekend. I mean, what would you think if you sat across from someone and the first words out of their mouth was this? I live with um, my ex-partner whose name's Latia. We were together for about 10 years. And then she, a couple years ago now, she came out to me as gay. And then so that was the end of our relationship. Oh, and then two weeks later, she found out she was pregnant. <laughs> it was a twist. You know, looking back, it was a wild couple weeks. That was a real, was a real roller coaster. <laughs> and that's not all. They are now raising their 18-month-old toddler Sullivan together all living under the same roof, which turns out is a bit of a deal breaker. 
so online dating has kind of been tricky because of that. We'll have an excellent chat. And then I'll ask them like, oh, let's go play laser tag. And then they'll say yes. And then I say, oh, you should know. And then I have this little paragraph that I copy and paste into the chat that explains mine and Latia's situation. That I'm living with Max for raising her. So, and, and then when I say that, it would, it would blow up quite quickly or it would implode quite quick, quickly on me. They, you, what they always say is, that sounds too complicated for me. So my idea with speed dating is if I could just talk to someone face to face and convince them I was normal. So I have been thinking about how to convey this normalcy in three minutes. I'm going to tell you, that sounds like a big ask to do in three minutes. <laughs> like you're giving a lot of background information. You're trying to make a situation that isn't the most common just seem like cool and easy. And right. also like, hey, this is this is who I am. So of all the things to have to like front load when you meet someone, why are you forcing so much information in that first six minute interaction? If you were going speed dating, what would you front load? First of all, uh, Richard, I asked the questions here. <laughs> <laughs> I can already tell how you do it speed dating. <laughs> and I, I've been wrestling with like, when is the appropriate time to bring this up? In my experience that if I don't disclose this promptly, then the reaction is like that I've been untruthful. But then the longer I don't bring it up, the more it seems like I'm withholding it or certain embarrassed about it, which is certainly not the case. Um, it works so well for not, not just the kid, but for each of us too to be living together. Like I, I get so much out of living with her in um, support uh, about like how to be a parent. I think of it as like the world's best reference letter for dating that we can have such a strong friendship even after our romantic relationship has dissolved, I, f I feel is like exemplifies our best qualities. And then so that when other people react of negatively to it or think like, oh, it's too complicated, it does, I don't know, it does kind of weigh on me. It, it does kind of frustrate me to a degree. I feel like it's almost like a guillotine hanging over any ensuing date. Yeah, that the longer I wait, the more of a thing it becomes. So my idea is to bring it up promptly and have it not be a thing at all. Okay. What are your thoughts on this plan? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean it, can I hear like an example of, of how that goes? Can I help you practice? Yeah, okay, that sounds great. That sounds okay. great. Should, okay, so are you timing or am I timing? Ooh, I'm gonna time. So let's start with pretending you're crushing it and you just made a really funny joke. <laughs> Richard. Uh, you know, these rental prices in Vancouver are just unbelievable. A way that I've found to save money is to live with my ex and infant son. What do you like doing on the weekends? I feel I, like that I'm, was under three minutes. That has to be like 15 seconds tops. Yeah, that's absolutely 15 seconds top. That's uh. You know, I'm, I'm appreciating that how hard of a segue that is. Right, because you have full amount of time you spend with someone is six minutes. So kind of three and three cut up. Six minutes seems like truly the worst amount of time they could have chosen. Just because it's 
far too short to have any sort of like meaningful conversation. Like, tell me about your relationship with your parents. But it's also way too long to just have, like it's, it is, it's an excruciating amount of time if you're just having small talk. So it's kind of in like this purgatorial space. Oof, purgatorial space. <laughs> I felt that in my chest. <laughs> yeah yes it's a lot of pressure to put on one six minute interaction but like on sunday night there's going to be like 15 six minute interactions so it really is dispersed well i i want to wish you the very best of luck as you face your six minutes in purgatory (laughs) as you describe it i cannot wait to hear how it goes yeah okay wonder i can't wait to tell you and in my mind it's gonna go Perfectly. Okay, I'm just on the bus on the way to um, speed dating. The event's at an arcade. I am not very gifted at arcade games. Unless they have arcade chess, then I, you know, then I'll clean up. Then this evening will be mine. Okay, so the email said for everyone to show up no later than quarter to six. And I, being a Capricorn, have done just that. However, no one else is here. And okay, there's the most attractive man in my life I've ever seen here. I'm, I'm going to try and get upstream of him so I'm not following him. Okay, the event is about to again begin. Okay, so Richard not sounding in his most confident, but it doesn't matter because the dates are done and he is back to report how it went and to open the email to see if there are any matches. Okay, uh, Richie K. Yes, yes, he's <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> were you able to to do what you were planning to do? Fit in um, an ex-partner that's a co-parent and a child all in six minutes? Yes, I think I was. I But I, I perhaps changed my approach a little bit, especially after the first time, which was really just like shoehorned in at the end. But instead, after that, I, what I started to do was just... Latia and Sullivan are such a large part of my life that it's difficult to tell any story that they're not somehow connected to. So I used to kind of, when I was meeting someone for the first time, censor myself in a way of trying to avoid certain parts of the conversation that didn't include Latia and Sullivan, so I wouldn't have to bring it up. But this time I just bulldozed right ahead and in that sense would tell stories about places I've gone to or things I've done and would just allow Latia and Sullivan to be naturally included in those conversations. And how was that received? You know, it was, it went well. It went way, every time I heard myself doing it, I thought, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, here it goes. <laughs> um, but it, it, it just, it just went well. It went really well. Good. Yeah. I think, I think at least, I don't know. <laughs> Was there anyone who reacted negatively? 
Yeah, actually, a guy I was talking to, not in like one of the speed dates. There was more men than women. There was two more men than women. So at a couple points in the evening, you have to like sit in the penalty box. And then one of the guys I was telling, I did the same thing. And he went, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that was a confidence boost. Yeah, that is true. But then, you know, I was ahead of him in the line. So I sabotaged him to every single person I came up to (laughs) next. So he's going to die alone. He's going to die alone. The vengeful speed dating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't want to wait anymore. I want to find out if you matched with any of these people that you're thinking of. Can we? Okay. Can you open the email? Okay, you ready? Yes. Are you? No, I'm nervous. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Even if it, even if I've matched with no one, I'll be wounded but survive. Oh, f- I matched with four people. Yeah! Yes. I was full of shit with that wounded thing. That would, it would have crushed me. It would have really crushed me. <laughs> you matched with four people. I did. Yeah. So they, they must have been ones that you were also interested in, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. A pair. Exactly. Ooh. Looks like you're graduating from six-minute dates to two-hour-long ones. <laughs> yeah. But I'll enforce the time commitment as rigorously as... Because <laughs> yeah. six minutes is really... It's you at your best. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I am really excited for you, and I hope you find what you're looking for. Thank you very much. That's very nice of you to say. Trevor, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but um, I'm sitting on a toilet. Uh, <laughs> it's closed. It's closed, to be fair. I am fully clothed. But I am in my bathroom because we're going to hear from so many people who are racing against the clock. And it's making me think about what I might need the encouragement of a ticking clock to face. And sitting on your toilet is giving you that inspiration? (laughs) It is. It is. And not because of anything with my digestive system. (laughs) It's because this is my, my least favorite chore, cleaning the bathroom. Ugh, it's never fun. Are you telling me that today you're going to make it like army clean? Like like on your hands and knees, just like scrubbing with a toothbrush? I like the idea of some pressure to like give myself an hour to see what I can actually do towards a task that I regularly put off and never face all at once. I might, okay. I might tear down the walls. This bathroom <laughs> might get expanded. My landlords will have questions. If this is what I'm going to take on, Trevor, what are you going to do? There is something that my, my daughter has been wanting me to do for a while now. She keeps asking me to build her a fort. So I will spend the next 60 minutes building what I consider to be an epic fort for my daughter. I love that. And if you are listening and you are thinking, you know, I have a thing that I've been putting off doing, whether that's for fun, whether it's to be responsible, whatever it is, this is your official starter pistol going off letting you know you have one hour to make yep. something happen so here we go three two one begin you know when you're in a hurry time can speed up it can move really quickly but when you're spending time with someone let's say that you love Things can slow down, especially if that someone is just an adorable little baby. Can you smile? Tori. Hi. Tori is 
really adorable and cute. Like when she smiles at you, her whole face smiles and it just makes me fall in love with her all the time. Even my older kids always say like, oh, you're so adorable, you're so adorable and just want to hug her and kiss her all the time. <laughs> oh. Little Tori is snuggled in her mom Shandy's arms. They're at Villa Rosa, an organization that provides housing and support to single mothers who need help to their pregnancies and for the first year of their baby's life. Tori and Shandy have been here since June. I found out she had Down syndrome when she was born, so it was kind of a shock to hear. I was kind of upset, but then like I've researched it and learned a lot more about it, and then just figured that it's. I guess it's something that I need. I need in my life right now. <laughs> She taught me how to be patient because like my older children were very advanced for their age and Tori is a little slower. So I'm, my patience was never part of me. <laughs> so like now I'm learning to be patient and enjoying the small things in life. Oh, come here. Tori saved me. Yeah. <laughs> While I was going down a really, really dark road when I found out I was pregnant, that's when I quit doing what I was doing and started to work on myself so I can get my other kids back and so I can be a better parent to all of my kids. I've always had um, either a drinking problem or substance use problems ever since I was 13 until last year. My mother was an alcoholic when we were younger, so yeah, it wasn't the greatest upbringing. I don't really remember when I was in care. I was very young, um, but I know by the time I was two, I was in 21 foster homes already. And then I just, I've had a lot of childhood abuse within my family, so that really triggered me a lot. I moved out when I was 16 and learned to take care of myself and work for what I wanted and just thought of me asking for help was a weakness. Like I had to do everything by myself. So like finally that I asked for help because I found out that I couldn't do it by myself. Since I've been at Villa, I've been taking a lot of programs to understand why I am the way I am and why I'm doing the things I'm doing. And now I'm understanding everything and I just don't want to live that life no more. I quit everything cold turkey. It was hard, <laughs> but it was much needed. And I decided, like, if I can quit doing that cold turkey, I can do anything and achieve anything. So, Shandy's counting down to a very big achievement right now. She'll mark one year of sobriety in March. Now, it's an important milestone on her journey to get her older kids back after her two daughters were apprehended by child and family services. Um, that was the hardest day of my life, or one of the hardest days of my life. Because my oldest was apprehended for three weeks when she was younger, but I got her back in three weeks, and I promised myself I would never let that happen again, and I did. So it was a like a kick in the teeth, because I know how it feels to be in CFS, and like that attachment that you lose. I felt so guilty and ashamed of myself. And it's been t taking two years for me to realize and forgive myself for getting them apprehended and believing that um, that I could do it. 
I agree that Shandy can do anything. So my name is Joan Garris, and I'm a social worker at Villa Rosa, and I have the privilege of working with Shandy. Her presence at Villa Rosa has been so incredibly positive, genuine. She's a role model in our group. When I think about Shandy being reunited with her children, it makes me feel so genuinely, genuinely happy. Shandy's worked so incredibly hard towards that, and she has such love for her kids. She has committed herself ever since I've known her to working hard on the reunification planning, doing everything she needs to do with patience, with grace, and with a vision in mind of when those kids come back to her home. I love it when they come for sleepovers. They come from Friday after school till Monday morning. And we just have fun all the time. It's just like them being at home, but the transition of them leaving is hard on them and me. Um, it's more harder on my oldest daughter because she is really sensitive and doesn't know how to express her emotions well. And she gets really angry, which is hurtful for me because I don't want her to feel angry, but it's just what the situation we're stuck in right now. It's not forever. Hopefully soon. <laughs> Shandy is waiting for a phone call that will change her family's life from a transitional housing program that focuses on family reunification. When I get that phone call saying that I've been accepted and I can get the move-in date, that's when my other kids come to. That will be the day that I'll be like so happy. <laughs> my kids are what gives me that strength to stay sober because I know how, how close I am and I don't want to lose that again. <laughs> it was hard enough the first time and I don't think I want to do it again. <laughs> I feel really proud of myself. Everybody's been saying how good I've been doing and that I'm a strong person and I'm starting to believe it in myself again. My kids just bring me joy all the time, seeing them happy and doing things with them like we used to is just, brings all those good feelings back and I can't wait until I get to the finish line. Shandy expects to get that call inviting her family to the transitional housing program by June, if not sooner. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. I am Ifichiwetelu. And I'm Trevor Deneen. And today on Now or Never, every story is a race against time as people are trying to set records, achieve goals, or change their lives entirely before the clock runs out. Lisa LaPointe is counting down to a day many people dream of, retirement. Three weeks on Friday will be my last, was my last day, yes. So three weeks today, I'll be Monday morning, I'll be waking up and not going to work. <laughs> How does that feel to say? It, it feels 
honestly a little bit scary. You have your routine, your Monday to Friday, and then you have your two days where you try to fill in the rest of your life. I'll probably feel a little freer, um, maybe not having these responsibilities anymore. I know I don't have the same energy that I used to have to do the work. And I also did not want to be one of those people who people are saying, when is she going to leave? I would like to think that in my final weeks of retirement, it will be filled with farewell parties and tying up loose ends and just random fist pumping down the hallways. But for Lisa LaPointe, who has been BC's chief coroner through the current toxic drug crisis that is claiming seven lives every single day, these last few weeks are time to make sure she says what needs to be said. BC Chief Coroner Lisa LaPointe called on politicians to be radical in their efforts to solve the province's toxic drug crisis. In her final public appearance before retirement, LaPointe said... We simply can't continue to watch as thousands of our loved ones die. 2023 marked BC's highest yearly number of illicit drug deaths on record. I'm angry that almost 14,000 people have died and that the response from our government has been very... I guess I would describe it as lackadaisical. Leave the ideology aside, look at the evidence and say, what will actually make a difference? What will save lives? BC's Premier David Eby says he fundamentally disagrees with the coroner's position about what methods are needed to save lives. But Lisa, she feels that she is in a race against time to speak out. Does it make it easier to speak more bluntly and directly about what you have seen and how you feel around witnessing so many preventable deaths? You're absolutely right. Now that I'm at the end of my career, I've developed um, a public voice throughout this crisis. I've been the person that people hear from and that people see and and wanting to as much as possible uh, remind people of what we who we've lost and the impact on our province. Drug toxicity is the leading cause of death in British Columbia for people aged 10 to 59. That is just a shocking statistic, and it has been for uh, over a year now. Um, So really wanting to impress that urgency, how well I am in the chief coroner role. Thinking of something you shared recently on The Current, uh, you said to Matt Galloway that you think about the toxic drug crisis 24-7. Do you... Does it feel possible to really step away? Yeah, so I think that's one of the reasons why I knew it was time for me to leave is that I I have seen so many deaths and we don't go home at the end of the day and forget about this because tomorrow there will be seven more deaths and the day after there will be seven more deaths. And, and I I don't leave it at all anymore. I'm thinking all of the time about the people who have died and I'm thinking about their families. And um, sometimes I'm getting angrier than I used to be. And I don't think that's good for a person in my role. You need to maintain. It's always important to maintain that objectivity. Um, But I have certainly become more frustrated and more angry. And I think that was also for me a sign that it's time to step back. I, I am really at this stage where 
uh, even picking up the newspaper <laughs> causes me some some stress sometimes. So I think it's it's a good time to step away, take some time, and then I'll find a way back to this issue, but but from a different direction. So you're you're far from done. I think so. I I I feel too strongly about this. I I I don't want to continue to see the deaths. I know the grief of the families uh, when I go to events and mothers approach me and they've lost their their child. You know, their child died three weeks ago or, or three months ago. And just the grief in their eyes and they're just devastated. And I think their loved one didn't have to die. In a few days, somebody else will step into Lisa's role But for now, she's starting to pack up her official office in Victoria and embrace what's next. You know, I will certainly be sad, um, but I will miss the opportunity to uh, feel like I have some influence or can make some change in a really meaningful way. Uh, And, you know, I I will keep some of the newspaper articles and things my grandchildren are little and I would like them I would hope that you know maybe 10 20 years from now they will think that I did something meaningful can we dream ahead to Monday February 19th your first post-retirement Monday what what are you doing what are you imagining (laughs) I'll be having an extra cup of coffee at home which will be so nice reading my my newspaper and slowing down. And I think that's going to take some time to find a different pace. You know, I can certainly keep myself busy. I I love riding my bike and I love, uh, we, we got a dog a month ago. He is a rescue. He's a very, uh, very friendly, happy dog. And uh, we're going to puppy training and he's he's right up there. Near the, near, I would say he's top half of the class. <laughs> Puppy school every Thursday night. This is Now or Never. And Evie, uh, do you remember a time when time didn't really matter to you at all? Is this like a, a riddle? Or a philosophical question. <laughs> what was before time? Who were we before time? I, I, I don't know. I think for me, it's when I was a kid. Because I think when you're a kid, time is just kind of like this thing that your parents talk about all the time. You're always being told things like, hey, hurry up, slow down, wait a second, or give me a minute. So the question is, when do you start piecing together what this time thing really means? At an elementary school in Winnipeg, Miss H and her kindergarten class are counting down the days to a big milestone. Their first 100 days in school. 87 days smarter in kinder. And we have only 13 more school days until we get to celebrate being 100 days smarter in kindergarten with 100 day. Before we do... I think it would be kind of neat to see what all of you know about time. 
What is time? It's a clock. Circle and numbers. Time is a machine that tells you the time. If you're going to somebody's house and they're not ready for you, you can wait for the time. Time shows you what time it is. What is something that takes a long time? The night. From the night to the morning. Like doing your homework that your mom told you to do it a long time. Waiting for friends or waiting in the line. That's very true, right? When you're going to bed and it's in tomorrow's Easter, it takes a while. Because you have to go to bed, then wake up, then wake your parents up, get ready, have breakfast, then you go to AIDS. Very true. Hey, who worries about time in your house? My dad. What does he say? He says that you hurry up. How often does he say to hurry up? Really often. <laughs> Are you normally pretty slow? No. So why is he telling you to hurry up? I don't know. So what does it sound like in the house when everyone's rushing? Get your stuff on. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Has this been a good time? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Are you guys ready to go back to classroom? No. And enjoy no, the rest no, of your day? No. 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 We want to stay here. This is Now or Never. I'm Trevor Deneen. And if you got the call to drop everything and go on a whirlwind adventure with only a few hours notice, would you take it? I'm Amanda Boozy, and I am from Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I had less than 24 hours to go to the Emmy Awards. So it's a crazy story. It's the most whirlwind, spontaneous 24 hours of my life. I'm a part of an online group called Seat Fillers and More, and uh, I applied two years ago to uh, basically be a seat filler at an award show. I've always had an obsession with Hollywood. There's this kind of mystery and excitement um, that surrounds celebrities, so I really, really wanted to try and do it. I've applied a few times in the past. I've never been chosen. It's very hard. It's like winning the lottery. The Emmy Awards are recorded in Los Angeles on a Monday afternoon. So when Amanda in Winnipeg hadn't heard back by Sunday evening, she didn't think she was getting the call. Until... I got into my car and I checked my email and that was right at 5. And that's right when I got the email saying that I was accepted to attend. So I frantically went on my phone. I remember sitting in my car looking through flights that were leaving. The last one was at 7. And um, yeah, prices were astronomical. As excited as I was that I was chosen, and I obviously wanted to make this happen, but the reality of it was I truthfully didn't know if I was going to A, afford it, B, make it in time. So I, I called my mom and I'm like, mom, what do I do? <laughs> and she said, just do it, just do it. It's only money, you know, you work hard, you'll find a way to make it back somehow, and it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I, I did it. So I uh, raced home and had about eight minutes to pack my bag. I found a dress I wore two years ago at a wedding. I didn't even know if it fit. Threw a pair of high heels, threw some makeup in, and grabbed my passport, and I rushed to the airport. Oh my gosh, I was so nervous. I was not gonna make it. I thought the entire trip 
if anything gets delayed, I like this is an expensive mistake that, you know, or an expensive story, I guess I could tell later. <laughs> so I arrived to Los Angeles and um, of course it was during rush hour and I'm in the cab and I'm just freaking out looking at my watch. I have to be there by 1.30 and at this point it was, I think, noon. And so I actually made it to my hotel by 12.30 and I had about 20 to 30 minutes to get ready and then I rushed over to the venue. My superpower is getting ready very quickly. Little tips and tricks, I always have my nails done just in case. And um, I mean hair extensions, let's be honest. It made my life so much easier. My hair was disgusting and I just put it up and put hair extensions in, so kaboom. So when we walked into the theater for the very first time, 10 minutes before the Emmys starts, it was the most surreal feeling of my entire life. And it was one of those moments where I feel time completely stops and you're just basking in the energy and the excitement. And I mean, the theater is beautiful. It's the Peacock Theater. It's so stunning. It's huge. Oh. Hello, friends. I love television. And tonight we celebrate 75 years of Emmys. And it was such a weird feeling standing there looking out and seeing all of these television celebrities and, and people that you've just admired growing up your whole life. And they're all standing there staring at you. You know, it's a very, very strange feeling. Um, but it was one of the most, I think, incredible feelings at a moment I'll never forget. There was Jessica Chastain to the right of me, Ali Wong from Beef who won on the left of me. Trevor Noah was behind me. I got sat uh, in the second row, right behind Christina Applegate. So that was incredible. I look up to her so, so much. When uh, she went up to go present an award, I was actually asked to go sit in her seat to be her seat filler for the rest of the evening. She would say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to make you constantly move. And I feel like she's just, Incredible, she's such a sweet woman. And I would say, no, are you kidding me? I am honored, this is your seat. At the end of the night, you know, you're walking out of the auditorium and you know, if you are a celebrity that has a ticket to the gala, the after party gala, you turn right. And if you don't, you turn left. And I had to laugh because it literally felt like the clock had struck midnight and I was Cinderella and I turned left and I I went back to my hotel room and I remember just being elated and on this incredible, you know, natural high and, and I'm like, what do I do now? You know, like, where do you go from here? What am I supposed to be doing right now? And you're in LA by yourself and I mean, you're excited, but you're also so tired. I hadn't slept at all the, that whole 24 hours. And um, I ended up just going to the hotel and I think I ordered room service and I went to bed. <laughs> to be honest, it was not a glamorous end of the evening. No regrets, zero, absolutely none. It was the coolest experience. Um, yes, it was expensive, but I don't regret it. It was just, you know, it's life. And I think you should do crazy things sometimes and then just be being ready for anything.
What an amazing adventure and what a great story to be able to tell the rest of your life. And she must have done a great job because Amanda was actually called back to LA to be a seat filler at the Grammy Awards as well. But this time, she had a lot more notice. Now, if you want to see shots of Amanda seat filling for the stars, check out our CBC Now or Never Facebook and Instagram pages. If there is one place that I want time to slow down, it is when I am on vacation. And right now, Kelly Konichny is on vacation in Maui, taking time to recharge from her daily life in Manville, Alberta. But there are ticking clocks in her life that follow her wherever she goes. So in January, we wanted the warmest place that we could go. (laughs) So we picked Hawaii. And we really enjoyed it. So we just decided to come back just being that it was um, like, it's hard to set up dialysis abroad. So since we did it last year, we thought, well, it'd be easier just to, you know, do it again. I mean, every year we hope that I get a transplant so that we don't have to deal with this while we travel. Kelly was born with a chronic kidney disease. And since being diagnosed, she has been counting down to the day when she'd finally have to start looking for a donor. When did you first know that you would eventually need a kidney transplant? I actually found out when I was around 21. But when you're 21, you're still, you know, living life. Um, I I had my children. It was always in the back of my mind that I would need a transplant. I was told probably about around the age of 50, which I will be 50 in in May. So it was there, but it wasn't like at the forefront. Can I interrupt you for a second? Because I'm still just sort of stuck on this fact that at 21, you just had decades to to wait. Were you just waiting to feel worse? Yes, (laughs) basically, yes. And so... You have to prioritize, you know, eating healthy, making sure you're getting some exercise, you're sleeping, and just trying to stay as healthy as you can so that you can prolong dialysis. And you can't move up on the deceased donor list until you start dialysis. So, like, even if I was looking for a living donor all that time, they, they're not going to transplant you because you haven't started dialysis yet. Well, take me to that moment then when you find out that the wait is over. It's, it's now time you need, you need to get a transplant. We had gone for a specialist appointment and my, my GFR, so the, the kidney functioning percentage, had gotten low enough that my specialist said, I think we need to start dialysis. You know, I felt like a knot in my chest and I, I was upset. I knew I kind of knew it was coming. I could just tell because I wasn't feeling good. Food was tasting terrible. I was nauseous a lot and just all the symptoms were catching up. And so it wasn't a complete surprise, but it still was disappointing. We had been looking through family members to be a living donor, but nobody was matching me. I knew I had a lot of people that were willing to help me. So I just assumed like, oh, well, one of them's going to match and I'll be off dialysis within a year type thing, you know. And then it just, it just wasn't happening that way. So now I've been on uh, for 
three and a half years. They have told me it's it's not impossible. There have been people who have, you know, had transplants with very high sensitivity. Um, so, but it's just harder to find. It's like a needle in the haystack times two type thing. <laughs> well, speaking of when it's a possibility this month, there's about, you're about to en- enter into a intense 10-day period to find a donor. Um, how, how are you feeling? Get looking to that. In the next 10 days to two weeks, there is a parrot exchange happening Canada-wide. So each time, I'm still very, you know, optimistic and hoping that this is going to be it. Um, But also there's always in the back of my mind, like, well, we've done this six or seven times already. So, you know, it's the balance of trying to be optimistic, but still reality, right? Like, like trying to not get your heart broken. Yes. I want to get a peek into what that 10 day run is like for you. Are you like holding your breath every time the phone rings? Are you like constantly checking? Like what, what, what does that look like for you? Every time they run, I will get a letter saying you're still in the run. And this is, you know, the dates that it'll run. Um, and then when my coordinator phones, of course, as soon as I know that it's her, I think to myself, oh, this could be it. Like, you know, but typically you can tell by the by her tone of her voice. <laughs> um, and she, you know, she just lets me know that, unfortunately, you know, we didn't find a match for you this time. But um, it'll literally just be a, a surprise call one day. And that's just how it works. Even if it's a deceased a deceased match. They'll just phone you randomly and you have two hours to get to the hospital. So it's it's just, it's my daily life. It's just in every aspect of my day. You know, in our in our time talking, I'm hearing so many like ticking clocks. You know, you have your like dialysis rhythm. You have, you know, this 10 day, two week window of uh, looking for a donor with some intensity. You've been doing this since you were 21 what what has this experience done to your sen- to, to your relationship with time? I thought I had lots of time, you know, 21. And I was told about, about the age of 50, I would probably need a transfer. And I was thinking, that's long time. Like, and honestly, I thought, well, by then, maybe something will miraculously be, you know, found or some kind of little gadget you can put in to, you know, I didn't know. And it was just like, okay, well, we'll deal with that in 30 years. But then in my 40s was when it kind of truly was like, oh, yeah, I can feel my body changing. I can feel, you know, me not feeling how I used to feel. And then that during that time, it was like, oh, like I could feel things speeding up. And then now, certain times feel like they're so slow when I, you know, when I'm doing my dialysis and I'm sitting there uh, for four hours all by, you know, by myself. And, but then the two weeks that I wait for, you know, the paired exchange, it's excruciating. So it's, it is, it's all about time and uh, wondering and waiting, you know, (laughs) and that's stressful and exhausting. Yeah. You've, um, You've been counting down for mo- over half your life towards this transplant. 
what what else what exists after that countdown like what are some of the things you're looking forward to experiencing when this is behind you you know spending time with the extended family um I'd like to, you know, maybe get back to work in some capacity, you know, to just regain my purpose, the feeling like I can start to live my life again for myself. I feel sometimes that I'm losing me as a person because this is just taking over and it's it's a big part of me and I I don't really like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> to put it lightly, you're yeah. like, mm, not so yeah. good, no, not so good. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I will I will join in that wish for you for what life looks like with uh, the freedom of not being bound by some of these schedules and, and clocks and timelines. I am excited for that. Thank you. This might be a good time to just check and see what your donor card is saying. Or if you are interested in being a living organ donor, you can visit Canadian Blood Services. Trevor, time is up. And I'm not just talking about reaching the end of the episode. It is the end of our one hour productivity challenge <laughs> productivity the one where uh you my lady said that you were going to clean your entire bathroom make it spotless how to go you know what i am proud to announce that i have a sparkling clean bathroom yeah you do and i just need to say that i do often clean my bathroom i just don't do it all at the same time you yeah. know i do like the little spots you get I it i get it i get it now you got a new place to eat tonight i like that gross how about you? You had set a deadline of one hour to build your daughter the biggest, baddest fort out there. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did my best. One hour. It's amazing how fast the time went. I felt like I was scrambling near the end, but I think I did a good job. But the real judge is going to be my daughter. Can I show you something? Yeah. Yay, a new fort. I love it. I love it. I do. I sleep it tonight. Do you like it? Yeah. As balloons on top and balloons hanging from it. Can I stay in the fort with you? No. No? <coughs> Love you. Love you too. Thank you, Daddy. You knocked it out of the park, Trevor. This fort looks looks pretty cool. I'm going to post some pictures online. I'm going to show people my fort. Are you going to show people your bathroom? Absolutely not. <laughs> but if you're out there right now and you did something in the last hour of the show that you're proud of and want to show off, head on over to our CBC Now or Never Facebook page and throw it up in the comments section. We'd love to see it. Big thanks to the Now or Never team of producers, Sarah Tate, Tanera McLean, Betsy Trumpener, and Bridget Forbes. I'm Trevor Deneen. And I am Ifi Chiwetelu. Clock is ticking till we see you again. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.